0: Uh, we're looking at why is life so difficult as a response to your questions. We did a QA and a Sunday a few weeks ago, and so many of the questions were about suffering and about evil, and we wanted to spend more than just a, a few minutes, but r- rather a few weeks on this topic. And I've, we've encouraged you during the week to read through the book of 1 Peter, and even watch the Bible Project video on that book so to understand the context. But it was a time when... People of faith were persecuted, even killed. Some were captured and basically lit on fire. They were the lamps of the streets in Rome. It was a terrible time. And yet in the midst of that, Peter is writing about a living hope. He even writes this phrase, May God's grace and peace be yours in abundance. How can we experience Peace and grace when so much evil is happening all around us. And last week we heard from John Burke, our senior pastor, and he talked about how God is with us in the midst of our sufferings when we invite him. That he is bigger than our sufferings, can even bring good out of our sufferings. And that this season, this life is not all there is. There is more beyond this life. And we shouldn't just get stuck asking why. In the midst of suffering, we we go to God, why me? Why is this happening? But instead, shift the question to how. How can I take more from this suffering than it takes from me? How can God use this suffering to bring good? We can get answers to help us grow through and overcome the worst of evil suffering. This past week, I was reading an article about a comedian who's had some success in Hollywood, and I was surprised to find that he actually grew up a devoted follower of Jesus. In fact, he was devoted in every way. He, he says he never smoked, he never drank, never had sex. In fact, he waited till his wedding night and then married the girl of his dreams. A few months later, she cheated on him, and he was devastated, and he blamed God. He writes in his memoirs, I felt like the Lord hadn't held up his end of the bargain. And so he chose to become an atheist. In fact, he referred to himself as a who-atheist, jumping into all the things that he had avoided before. And unfortunately, he has a massive misunderstanding of God. He, he responded with heartbreak to his wife breaking vows as if God had made those vows He was acting as if we do good things in order to get God to do good things for us. He had a religious understanding of God. And unfortunately, that's how many of us were raised. We grew up with this mixture of the American dream and a consumeristic view of Christianity. We think that God promised us life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We think that if I do the right thing, then God owes me. And if my circumstances change, then it's God's fault. But God never promises us a life without pain or suffering or evil. God promises to be with us no matter what we face. In fact, the scriptures promise we will suffer, we will face difficulties. But God offers us something that transcends the American dream. He offers us spiritual life and liberty in the experience of holiness. See, we treat God as if His goal is to make us happy, but His purpose for us is our holiness. Experiencing holiness is experiencing God's character, His presence, and even a glimpse of heaven. We can trust that God allows suffering, but it's only for a time and for a bigger purpose a bigger story that ends well for all who love God because God is defeating evil. There's a story of a man named Boris Kornfeld who is a victim of the evils of the Soviet Union. Any of you grew up in the 80s when we were like super afraid of the Soviet Union? Any of you? I was in Lubbock at the time, and we used to do drills. Literally, this is a true story. We would do drills in case the Soviets bombed us. And we would the alarm would go off, and we'd jump under our desks. Now, there's two things wrong with this in many ways. <laughs> One, would that really protect you from a nuclear bomb? And would the Soviets really target Lubbock? That's, a, that's another <laughs> question I even wondered as a kid. But Boris Kornfeld actually experienced the evils of the Soviet Union firsthand. Now, at first, he was actually excited about communism. Because as a Jew, he had suffered all sorts of persecution from Christian Russia. You see, the czar had ordered persecution, this Christian czar. And so for him, he thought communism was the answer. Now, unfortunately, we don't know exactly what he did wrong. But he faced imprisonment in the gulag. It's a Russian concentration camp during the time of Stalin. Behind that barbed wire, Kornfeld was cured of communism. The senseless brutality, the waste of lives, the trivialities of the criminal charges made him doubt the glories of this system. And it was there that Boris came in contact with a devoted follower of Jesus. This well-educated, kind prisoner would not stop talking about the promises that God had made to the Jewish people of a Messiah, a Savior. He couldn't stop talking about how God would deliver his people from the grips of evil that hold our spirits in prison. Now, as a Russian Jew, Boris hated Christians. Centuries of Jewish persecution in Russia at the hands of people who claimed to be Orthodox Christians, though their actions betrayed them. And yet there was something different about this particular prisoner. He was so kind and so loving and so compassionate, so smart. And several times, Boris would overhear this man praying. He was saying the Lord's Prayer, and he would hear him say this day after day. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And he would hear him talk of the sufferings of Jesus and how Jesus responded to our suffering. But even still, Boris was was angry. He was angry that he had found himself in this place, an innocent man, and, and because he was a doctor, they put him in the hospital, and one day there was a guard that showed up who had had a laceration of an artery that without it being sutured, he would die. And so Boris as he was operating on this man, trying to save this man, had this diabolical thought. He realized that he could tie the the artery, but not fully, patch him back up, and it would come loose on its own, killing the guard, and no one would ever know that he was behind it. As he began to implement this plan, he was suddenly struck with the irony that now he was plotting evil that in experiencing evil, now he was literally planning to take the life of a man that he could rescue. Overcome by the evil within him that had taken over him, suddenly seeing himself as evil as the guard he hated, being overcome with hate, he started praying that prayer quietly in his heart. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And in that moment, he decided to properly suture the artery, rescuing this guard. Fully aware of the evil within himself, he prayed to Jesus, asking him for forgiveness, asking him to free him from this anger and this evil and this hate It was after that that he began to experience a new freedom. He had peace. He had joy in the midst of the gulag. He had this incredible desire to to do the right thing and even make life better for his patients. In fact, one time, an orderly had stolen some of the food of one of his patients and started to realize that some of his patients weren't surviving because of these orderlies that would come in and steal from them. And so he reported the orderly. He had courage. He cared for his patients in ways that he didn't care before. One day he was helping another prisoner who had found himself in the hospital. And he was describing this joy, this indescribable peace, and and how praying to Jesus and surrendering to Jesus had changed everything for him. The young man listening was intrigued and wanted to talk to him the next day. Tragically, that night, the orderly had been released and that night had killed Boris with a mallet. The patient who had heard Boris talking the day before discovered that tragedy and over the next days and weeks could not stop thinking about what he heard. Eventually, he gave his life to Jesus as well and became known as a a famous author around the world. His name was Alexander Solzhenitsyn, Nobel Prize winner for literature. And in one of his books, he writes the story of Boris Kornfeld, a story of a man who changed his life by following Jesus. Here's how Solzhenitsyn summed up the paradox of how God defeats evil. He writes, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. So why is life so difficult? Well, because God loves us, and He's allowing suffer to defeat evil in us. Now, I know this may not make sense at first, but just... With me, see, God allows evil and suffering for two reasons. First, to lead us into the love we long for. See, we were created for God, and yet He creates us with freedom. And so, in our freedom and in the freedom that others have, we hurt each other. We were intended to be in a relationship with God as His beloved sons and daughters, His works of art, His masterpieces. We were created to love God and to do His will freely out of a sense of love and trust, to submit our wills and to His will freely, but not by force, to allow Him to mold us into this work of art. But it requires us choosing Him. You see, human beings, we have incredible capacity for both good and for evil. Mother Teresa, Dr. King, Stalin, Hitler. What Solzhenitsyn and others have discovered And later reflected on is that we are not just imperfect people. We are quiet rebels who like our ways better than God's ways. Rebels who must lay down our arms against the loving creator for evil to ever be defeated. Solzhenitsyn spent 50 years studying what happened in the communist revolution and concluded, If I were asked today to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million of our people, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat, men have forgotten God. What does he mean? See, when things go our way, most of us will happily ignore God our whole lives, yet blame God when things don't go our way. As former Oxford scholar C.S. Lewis noted, the human spirit will not even begin to surrender self-will to its creator as long as everything is going fine. God allows pain and suffering as a reminder that something's wrong. It will not always be this way. God will make all things right. But in this season, we have the freedom to choose him. And sometimes it takes the pain and suffering of life to lead us away from self-rule, from self-will, from playing God, but instead turning to God and letting him be God. Another quote I found this week is by G.K. Chesterton, who said, Meaninglessness doesn't come from being weary of pain, but being weary of pleasure. So we go to the wrong things and we're frustrated and we're disappointed because nothing can meet our needs. No person can meet our needs. No amount of stuff or position or power can meet our deepest needs that only God can. Takes the painful realization to recognize I'm not God. Life and people, for some reason, do not obey me. In fact, the very things I hate and call evil, I've done too, and I need forgiveness and help. When we come to that realization, we're in position to experience the life and the light and the love that He created us to experience. See, God overcomes evil. Through his children, this is the second way that God, allow reason he allows suffering is that God overcomes evil through his children who are following his will. Even through the suffering of this life that still goes against God's ways. See, Jesus' followers can still cooperate with evil if we're not careful. See, all evil starts with a simple ideal, which is, my will is best. That's why this Prayer that Jesus taught us to pray every day, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But only then, when we are willing, can God start with us, defeating evil in us one willing heart at a time. A- and pain and suffering is when we're most willing. That's what Solzhenitsyn understood from the bowels of evil. He writes, the meaning of earthly existence lies not as we have grown used to thinking and prospering, but in the development of the soul. But to understand why it takes pain and suffering to overcome evil, we have to understand evil in our own hearts better. For example, evil is not a thing. Like darkness is not a thing. Darkness is the absence of something, light. Evil is the absence of God In his ways. Evil is anything not of God. And evil can rear its ugly head in hidden ways, like being mean or jealous or greedy or lustful, or it can show its full-blown hideous self in systemic injustice or the gulags in concentration camps. But at its core, it begins with human pride and self-will ignited by the spark of evil that's all around us, causing us to put ourselves at the center of the universe And God and others as our servant, there to do our will, to be discarded when they do not. We look at others in our relationships and where we work as there to meet our needs. Forgetting that actually what Jesus said is to find our place in this world is to lose our life. That's how we find our life. I caught a glimpse of this really in many ways, for the first time when I was in college. Um, I lived with the same three guys all four years, Joe, Pete, and Craig. And we started our own fraternity. That way we didn't have to pay dues. (laughs) We even had a, a sweetheart every semester that would make us food. I don't know how we tricked these poor girls into doing that for us. We were not officially sanctioned fraternity. We were called Alpha Pi, which stood for the Agape Posse, Posse of love. Yes, we were from the 90s. And and it was this interesting thing, because a lot of my friends, all of their apartments, they had like a list of chores to do. Well, in our apartment, we had no list, because Joe and Pete did all the chores. It was awesome. It was like the greatest living experience I'd ever had up to that point in my life. And and then one day, I remember, we experienced this for weeks. Joe and Pete would do the dishes. Joe and Pete would take out the trash. And then one morning, it was a Saturday morning, I walked into the bathroom, and I see Pete cleaning our toilet. And that's where I felt like, okay, I have to draw the line. That's too far. He's gone too far. And it was almost like uh, that Huckleberry Finn, like c- trying to convince Tom Sawyer, or maybe I reversed it or just combined it, but this idea of, like, I promise this is fun. Suddenly, all of a sudden, Craig and I wanted to get in on the fun. So we started to try to do the dishes before Joe and Pete. We started trying to take out the trash before Joe and Pete. And for the next three years, we lived together with no list of chores, trying to outserve the other. It was a glimpse of what should be true in our homes. But unfortunately, the opposite is the case. We slip into the ways of the world and we blame the other and we expect more from the other. And we expect them to meet our needs, and if they don't, we discard them at home. Or where we work. But from God's perspective, he knows who we really are, that we need to be renewed, we need to be made new. He created us and he knows us better than we know ourselves. And God knows, only he can make us into the people he's created us to be. Cuz deep inside us if if we don't follow him in his ways, those little evil thoughts can turn into evil actions. It can bring destruction to the world around us. But when we put our hope and trust in Him rather than in this world, than in things of this life and property and position and power or more stuff or more money, when we put our hope and trust in Him and have this constant connection with Him, He can allow suffering and pain to defeat evil in us and use us to bring healing For others who are suffering. See, the interesting thing is the way the message of faith has spread across cultures over the century was a direct result of how people of faith withstood suffering, how they served those who were suffering, how they worked to end unjust suffering of others. It was followers of Jesus who refused to renounce their faith under penalty of death. It was followers of Jesus who cared for their neighbors, suffering from the plague as others left the city. It was followers of Jesus who put an end to slavery. It was followers of Jesus who built hospitals to care for the sick and schools to educate the poor. It was followers of Jesus who worked for the fairness and the end of oppression. It was followers of Jesus who serve others in the midst of their suffering. And so Paul, or Peter, rather, writes to these suffering believers Across the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, and he tells them that God will reward their faithfulness to trust in Him in the midst of the difficulties. Listen to what he writes, 1 Peter 2. For God is pleased when conscious of His will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. So how can we defeat evil in our suffering? First, hate evil and love God. So many of us respond to the crisis in this world by blaming God and hating Him, but we're hating the wrong thing. Remember, evil is the absence of God and His ways. And so if we hate God because of the pain and evil that we face, all we'll be left with is the evil. Whatever the whys of the pain and suffering, God wants you to look to Him, Put your hope and trust in Him. So it's okay to hate the pain, to hate the crisis, to hate the evil that you face. But let it push you to love God more, knowing He hates evil too and is defeating it as you love Him more. Number two, don't confuse life with God. Philip Yancey wrote a great book called Disappointment with God. If you're going through a difficult time, it could be a helpful book for you in this season or another book called A Grace Disguised by Sitzer. But Yancey tells the story of a modern-day Job, a man named Douglas. Tragically, Douglas's wife discovered she had breast cancer. She underwent treatment. She got so sick from the treatment that he had to quit his job. Now, he had just left a lucrative job to step into serving the urban poor. And, and so you'd think at this point, Douglas would be mad. God, why would you lead me out of this lucrative job into serving the poor. And now I can't even do that because I have to take care of my family because my wife is so sick. Well, in the midst of that season, he's driving his wife and his daughter who was 12 at the time and they were hit by a drunk driver. Remarkably, his daughter and his wife were fine, but he suffered a headache. from that, but he continued to have severe headaches. He could not work a full day, sometimes becoming disoriented and forgetful. And he developed double vision. He was able to cope with his disabilities, except for he was never able to read again, which was his lifelong passion. And so Yancey met with him over breakfast to interview him for his book, and he asked the question, Douglas, could you tell me about your disappointment with God? And Douglas was silent, Yancey thinking that maybe the, he was having a mental gap, unable to put the words together. But then he said, Douglas said, to tell you the truth, Philip, I don't feel any disappointment with God. Yancey was startled. He knew this guy was no turn your scars into stars type of person. But Douglas said this, the reason is this. I learned first through my wife's illness, then especially through the accident, not to confuse God with life. I'm no stoic. I'm as upset about what happened to me as anyone could be. I feel free to curse the unfairness of life and to vent all my grief and anger. But I believe God feels the same way about that accident. We tend to think life should be fair because God is fair. But God is not life. And if I confuse God with life, I'm setting myself up for crashing disappointment. Life is not fair, but God. (laughs) Things don't go our way, people say, God be damned. And for all the evil we see, what we don't realize is when Jesus hung on the cross, he was. See, God stepped into the pain and the evil and the suffering, and he took it all on himself. God gives us the answer to how he feels ultimately about evil and suffering, he took it head on. Yancey describes it like this the cross that held Jesus' tortured body pierced with bloody nails, exposed all the violence and injustice of the world. At once the cross revealed what kind of world we have and what kind of God we have, a world of gross unfairness and a God of sacrificial love. Through his sacrifice, God made a way for us to experience forgiveness, to become his children, to experience the intimacy with him, to have the spirit guiding us to be better than who we are naturally, to overcome evil and suffering with good? All it takes is a willing heart. Have you told him, I want what Jesus did on the cross to count for me? When we become followers of Jesus, we become agents of change. We can overcome evil with good. Romans 8 says it this way, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Now, bread is good, right? Moldy bread is bad, but do you know what humans have done with moldy bread? That's how we created penicillin, something that's healed lots of people. Now, if human beings can take something gross like moldy bread, and bring good out of it. Can you imagine what the creator of the universe can do with the bad that you and I are experiencing? Listen again to Romans 8. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If we can trust him, we will begin to see that Nothing in life is nonsense. That God can redeem even the most seemingly senseless experiences and painful things that have happened. With God, all things count. I mean, Boris, his story, his suffering was not senseless. It brought another person to faith whose writing has helped others across the century, across cultures. God can use the evil and suffering, and somehow, miraculously, and only a way that God can bring good from it. And then use us to bring good for others. And the good that he can do, says in this passage, conforming us to the image of his son. Remember, God's goal is not to bring you happiness, but to help you experience holiness. A glimpse of his character, of his presence, of heaven itself a life freed from the trappings this world tries to hold us with. We become more like the one who overcomes evil with good, and that's how God is overcoming evil, through one willing life at a time. But it requires us being intentional, seeking after God, and the best ways that I've discovered to grow is, is by serving others with others. That's why we point you towards starting gate all the time. That's why we're doing something this summer called Summer Serve, where if your schedule is opened up, there are different projects we're doing throughout the week. It, that's why we create experiences. The second way I, I, I've seen myself grow is being intentional about spending time in the scriptures and in community. That's why we're doing something called The Way of Jesus on Wednesday nights. That's why we have open share on Wednesday nights. Being in community, letting God's Word speak to us and help us. I want to encourage you to kick the summer off, this new season, as a season of growing, by joining us on June 7th. It's a Friday night. We're having our multicultural dinner. Just bring your favorite dish from your family of origin. And then stay with us for our worship night as we kick the summer off together. Because here's the thing, when we grow in our relationship with God, we actually get to the place where we thank Him for allowing the suffering that we've experienced. Listen to Solzhenitsyn writing in his memoirs. He says, It was granted to me to carry away from my prison years this essential experience. He refers to prison as an essential experience. And he says this, Sometimes to the astonishment of those around me, I say, bless you, prison. I've served enough time there. I nourish my soul there. And I say without hesitation, bless you, prison, for having been in my life. Remember the story I shared of the comedian? Just this morning, I received an email from someone who used to be part of Gateway in South Austin before she moved. And she sent me an email with an update. You see, three years ago, her husband left her leaving not just her, but their three-year-old and 20-month-old. As a new single mom who didn't want to be a single mom, she really struggled. Struggled not just to make it in life, but to even wrap her head around trusting God. She wrote this to me this morning. She writes, God really does work in amazing ways even when I didn't want to see it because it wasn't going the way I thought it should go, even when I was so angry at him, even when I if I then God, and even if it didn't turn out the way I wanted to, he has shown so much grace and love. She then writes four just beautiful stories, amazing stories of how God has helped her through the pain of these last years. But I wanted to share this little excerpt from the the final story. She writes, There's probably still way more stories I could share. But finally, after three years, I'm not as angered when he sends accusatory, my ex sends accusatory emails or fails to recognize my presence. Recently, I was telling my story to someone I had just met. We were talking about divorces and the pain, and she said to me, I would never have guessed you've been through all that. You seem so whole and at peace. I now have this group of other single mom friends who are divorced or widowed or by choice and friends who have opened up to me about their marriage struggles that I would not have had if I was still married. I don't know if I'm much of a light because I seem to be terrible at sharing my faith, but I see God's hand. I see how he's transformed me from being less concerned about what others think to focusing on what he thinks. And I wouldn't have gotten to that place if it wasn't for the pain. God is so remarkable that when we trust Him with our most painful moments, He can actually show us the good that can come from it. So I want to just give you a moment, just a moment, to take out that same card. And I want you to either just draw a line under what you've written about the suffering you've faced or flip it over to the other side. And I want you just to consider, what is it that God is going to teach you through this, or maybe it's something you wrote about that you did suffer in the past, and maybe it's becoming clearer that He's worked in you through that time. Just write down what it, it is that He's taught you through that. Maybe it's a deeper trust in God, or maybe it's growing in peace despite circumstances, or loving people despite their flaws and the pain they cause us. Whatever it is, just take this moment and write on the back the good that God is beginning to bring in the midst of your difficult time. Let's do that together. for some of us we're beginning to see why perhaps just a glimpse of of the good that can come through it we may never know exactly why this or that happened on this side of eternity God but give us a faith to see the good that you can bring from it God if any of us still have a a struggle we're in the midst of or have gone through and it's still not clear what good can come from it God would you begin to show us may we begin to process this more with you God, may we take our pain to you. May we surrender our anger to you, our bitterness to you.